As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. Today is Thursday. What, is, what are we on? February third, uh, 23rd, around 3.30 p.m. Uh, Mario Cristobal, as we talked about in our previous podcast a week ago, already hired his offensive coordinator, got that done, hired Shannon Dawson from Houston. Um, I had uh, one of my colleagues from The Athletic on with me to talk about that. Actually, two of my colleagues. Um, Sam Khan was actually on the uh, YouTube page with me last week talking about the, the, the Shannon Dawson hire. He's based out of Houston, uh, graduated from Houston, so he follows that program well. And then, um, you know, I had uh, Bruce Feldman on with me as well on the on the audio version of the podcast. So hopefully you guys got a chance to check that out uh, in the last podcast. But today I got Carlos Ledo, the MIA All Day podcast, back with me because I want to get Carlos's thoughts on the hires, uh, being a football X's and O's guy like he is. Um, I figured... Uh, Use that term loosely. I can use it loosely, but, uh, you know, you, you know, hurricane history, you know, hurricane coaching, um, you know, going to the air raid, quote unquote, air raid, even though it's not really the air raid uh, <laughs> and really more of an aggressive defense uh, with Lance Gidry as the defensive coordinator. Uh, they also hired Derek Nicholson as linebackers coach. And then earlier this week, uh, Tim Harris Jr. was hired away from uh, UCF to be uh, the running backs coach. So four hires still need a receivers coach. I know that that could be getting close to being finalized here. I'm sure as soon as we're done with this podcast, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be announced who the receivers coach is. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to dispel any rumors, it's not me. All right, good. I want people to know that. Um, I, first, we'll get your thoughts on that, um, Carlos, in a second. But I want to tease a couple of things. I wrote a story earlier this week on uh, Prentice Air Nolan. He's a four-star quarterback out of Georgia. He's one of about six or seven quarterbacks Miami has on its board I'll share some but, names. But I guarantee you that is the best nickname of all the quarterbacks who are recruiting right now. Well, it's not even a nickname. It's his middle name. It's his actual middle Air name. Air is his birth- middle name? Air is his middle name on his birth certificate. Dude, listen. Uh, tell Ruiz to write a check for whatever it takes. That guy's going to be <laughs> legit. I don't care what's... That kid from birth has been destined to be amazing. So write the check. Um, I got some names to share as far as Miami's board that we'll get into later. We got mailbag questions. But, Carlos, let's start with just your thoughts on, on the overall theme of Mario's hires here. Yeah, um, it's pretty interesting that he went with, you know, uh, a defensive guy who's a little bit more aggressive than Kevin Steele and Lance Gidry, a guy that brings more pressure, a guy that goes more man, um, you know, his base coverages are cover one, uh, cover three, and then a, a variation of what they call cover four, which is a cover four palms, which is a matchup man kind of cover four, um, which is sort of a 180 from what they were doing with Kevin Steele, where they played a lot of base defense, didn't send a lot of blitzes, tried to stay, uh, you know, fundamentally sound and make plays that way and play a lot of zone behind it. Um, and really, that's what they were doing before they they hired Mario Cristobal, right? They had an aggressive defense. They'd like to get guys upfield. Um, in, in Gidry's defense, it seems as though he keeps a little bit more lane integrity when he pushes up the field with his defensive line and on pressures than Manny did. But it's essentially the same thing. They like to get upfield, change the line of scrimmage, push it backwards, make the offense have to work to get across the line of scrimmage, and then attack the football and be aggressive with it and play more man. So it's a 180 there on defense. And then offensively, 
you're essentially bringing Rhett Lashley back because, again, remember when Rhett Lashley was first hired, it was the combination of the air raid passing game coming from Sonny Dykes and the power run game coming from Gus Malzahn, who was a huge influence on Rhett Lashley's career coming up. So that was supposed to be the marriage that we got with Rhett Lashley. Now, when Lashley got here, um, we came a little bit, there was a kind of a codependent relationship on De'Eric King, a lot like you saw in Houston last year with Shannon Dawson and Clay Toon, where Clay Toon was basically the offense. You know, he was their leading rusher, leading passer, did it all for them. Um, and really that running game, that power spread never developed. And I think a lot of that had to do with one, not enough talent in the running back room and had a lot of injuries while uh, Rhett Lashley was here. And two, the offensive line just wasn't good enough to be pinning and pulling and moving. So they had to use a lot more inside zone. So to me, ideally, what we're going to get is what we thought we were going to get originally with Rhett Lashley and Manny Diaz a couple years ago, now with Mario Cristobal. Yeah, and you're going to get Mario Cristobal-type players here coming in. I, I think in some respects, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, Carlos, it's almost like he's acquiescing to what he has in terms of the talent, right, in his backyard, what he has in terms of the talent um, on the roster at the moment. Um, you know how. How long how long they play this style? You know, how many years is is the Mario Cristobal era gonna be, you know, this same offense all the way through? Is it gonna be the same style defense all the way through? I don't know that. I don't know that this any of any marriages in college football that long, um, you know, or any more last that long. I mean, in the end, coaches have to constantly sort of reinvent themselves and reinvent what they're doing based on the personnel they have. But I think that the encouraging sign is that Mario made adjustments. After coming here, and, and I've said this on on this podcast several times, and I've said this to you, you know, I feel like when Mario was out on the West Coast, he really didn't know what was going on here. And I think it was a little bit of an eye opener, as it is for every coach in college football. You end up in a new place. You have to adapt to what that, that environment is and try to change it while you're there. Um, I think Mario's trying to do that. Um, had to change the coaching staff, had to make some, 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 you know, not just from a schemes perspective, but I would say just from a thought process perspective, right? Bringing in hungry coaches, guys that need to prove themselves. Uh, Tim Harris Jr., you know, was at FIU for most of his career, was at UCF for one year as an assistant head coach. He's a hungry young coach. Um, you know, he, he wants to prove himself. He hasn't been at the Power 5 level for multiple years. Derek Nicholson, former Florida State linebacker, uh, you know, he was on the staff at, at Louisville. Yes, he was coaching with Scott Satterfield, followed him to Cincinnati. But again, is he at a blue blood program? No, he, he really hasn't been there yet. Um, Shannon Dawson was at Houston. You know, again, he's, he's sort of been under the wing of Dana Holgerson over there. Now this is his moment to come out and shine. Lance Guidry, former head coach at McNeese State, hasn't gotten the opportunity really to coach at the power five level. Been at Marshall, been at other places, but this is his first. So it's a different perspective also, I think, from a mentality standpoint, right? You're not bringing in Kevin Steele, who's been at, at, at major Power 5 programs, or Charlie Strong, who's been at major Power 5 programs in the NFL, or Kevin Smith, uh, you know, who, who was at Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin for a few years. I think it's a different mentality, and, and, and it's probably necessary for the type of kids that you have at the moment. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to see, you know, it, like like you said, it's a complete 180 on the entire program, not just the offense and defensive philosophy, but in terms of the coaches they hired and how they're going to be coaching these kids. I, I think what ended up happening is when Mario came into the program, one, he thought, man, they weren't that bad over the last couple of years. I think we can just plug and play here and there, build up the program while we start bringing in our recruits, have a decent season and start building right away. Then when he got here, he realized that wasn't the case. I think the second thing that happened is, when the resources were available to Mario and he was able to write blank checks to whatever coaches he wanted, I think he focused too much on getting the biggest names he could possibly get, guys with proven track records, guys that he felt would be immediate impacts because of their resume, and didn't really get to know these guys and where they were in their career and how they were in terms of you know their, their work ethic with the players, their, their coaching style. And it was really more about the names. And he thought that maybe that would be a great way to build a super staff and get the best results, but ultimately it backfired for many reasons. And where he's had success is doing what he did at FIU, right? Identifying coaches that he feels are talented and hungry, that are not getting the opportunity right now, that he feels are going to be bigger names down the road and getting them in the program now. So as they rise, the program rises with them, right? So this could be their stepping stone to the next level. And that's what he wants. And that's what he built in other places, just like at Oregon. You know, Marcus Arroyo wasn't a household name when he became the offensive coordinator at Oregon. 
ended up being the, the head coach at UNLV. He had other assistants that he hired at, at, at other places at, at Oregon at FIU that want, went on to big things like Frank Ponce, like James Coley, like Todd Orlando, guys like that. Um, you know, this guy just got fired as a head coach at, at Georgia Tech. His name escapes me right now, who was a great defensive coordinator for him at FIU and other places. So he's going back to his roots. And I think it was a little bit shell shocking for him to see the way this season played out not just because of the way the players played, but because of the way the coaches coached and the way things went on. So he had to make a decision, either you know roll with what we got and see if we could work it out, or just cut bait now, admit the mistake, and go back to, with, to, to his fundamentals, the way he feels programs should be built, and I think he did that. He did, and uh, and so now we'll see. I, I still think there's probably going to be more changes. You know, Bruce Feldman, who works with me at The Athletic, is as plugged in as anybody as far as – uh, Mario's coaching changes and, and thought process. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think he's mentioned, he mentioned some of the uh, receivers coaches. I mentioned it as well. I thought Kevin Beard would be a good candidate for this job being at Toledo, being in, in a pass heavy system over there for several years, having worked at Miami, played at Miami. I think he understands the culture. And, and sort of a little, a little dig at Jason Candle for turning down the job two years in a row. Let me take a receiver's coach. This is what you get for right. turning me down. Right, right. The Miami Herald reported that Leonard Hankerson actually interviewed for the job. Bruce Feldman two weeks ago mentioned Leonard Hankerson as a potential guy that Mario wanted to get. He also mentioned Reggie Wayne. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens here with the receiver's coach position. Hopefully it gets filled soon. Uh, spring practice starts March 4th, and you want all these coaches in there. But I will tell you, I mean, it, Mario will, will take it right up until the gun. I mean, I, I remember in fall camp last year, uh, there were questions about whether or not Stephen Field was going to come back and be the tight ends coach. Well, he signed his contract literally, I think, the first day of practice. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this can go all the way up. The bottom line is you have your offensive and defensive coordinators. That's the most important thing. You can move assistant coaches around. And, and the other thing I'd say is, you know, college football is allowing more and more coaches to be on the sideline involved. Um, so, you know, like Demarcus Van Dyke, does he need to be one of the 10 assistant coaches? No, not necessarily. He's on the field. He's helping out. He's recruiting. He's doing a lot of different things. So there's more flexibility in college football as far as keeping people happy. Uh, you know, DVD did interview for some jobs uh, here in the offseason. People were looking to get him. And, and, but I think his heart and, and, and first of all, the money that he's getting paid at Miami is, is probably better than any other job in a group of five schools somewhere else. So. You know, a guy like Jason Taylor, uh, who was a big part of this staff last year that I know the coaches really respect and Mario really likes a lot. I mean, he could be a guy who could potentially move into one of those 10 positions, but does he need to? Not necessarily. He could he could be in the same sort of position he was last year and still have a um, have an influence on the players here. So we'll see um, what other changes happen uh, in the weeks uh, ahead. But again, uh, you know. It's not we're not done. Like even when they hire receivers coach, I'm not sitting here saying Miami's done making yeah. adjustments. Who knows? Maybe maybe Field finally goes this year. Maybe Mario replaces him with James Coley, uh, who's coached tight ends in the past or another tight ends coach. Um, maybe he replaces guys on the defense or guys on defense decide to leave after they have a spring with Lance Gidry. You know, that's something else that could happen. They could all get together, go through a spring, and some coaches decide, look, this isn't for me. This isn't the system for me. This isn't the coordinator for me. And players are gonna do the same thing. They're gonna identify whether or not this system is fit for them and make a decision after the spring. Yeah, um, Miami. Look to this point, we, and we'll and we'll start to evolve here and get to the to the mailbag questions here in a second because there were there were some sent in that I think are going to lead us into some good topics, Carlos. But one thing I wanted to get into here was Miami's recruiting for 2024 because uh, Junior Day is March uh, the fourth. That's the the first day of spring practice. So there's going to be a large contingent of visitors. Uh, Miami's only got one commitment so far in the class of 2024. I know some fans are a little like, well, what's going on? You know, you're not following it up with uh, another commitment, you know, a bunch of commitments. Florida State, I think, has eight. Uh, Florida has DJ Lagway as their, as their quarterback. What I, what I tell fans is, look, I think the commitment period is usually like between March and July. That's sort of the big window where you're going to land a lot of commitments. And then the reality is, is, do you hold on to those guys? Do you flip guys? Um <clears throat> You know, Miami has a lot of guys that they're interested in that are elite players. And, and from having some conversations uh, with people on staff, I, they're not at all concerned that they don't have any commitments yet. They're not pushing for it. They're they're sort of focused right now on fixing the coaching staff, uh, preparing for spring football, having guys get healthy so that they're available in the fall. Uh, you know, Mario wants to turn this thing around and, and going five and seven was, was flat out just terrible in, in terms of, uh, you know, internal sort of feelings feeling good about this right you invest all this money into this program you have to start changing all these coaches and i think um you know no. Mar mario just wants to get this thing headed in the right direction so um 
you know, the 2024 recruiting class can wait a little bit. You're going to have guys coming on campus. You want to see who's really into the really into this. And I think a lot of those guys uh, want to see this offense. They want to see what Shannon Dawson does. They want to see who the receivers coach is before they, uh, you know, really wrap up their college decisions. Um, you know, I got an opportunity to go watch some seven on seven football here the last few weeks, Carlos. Uh, Jeremiah Smith, um, jo- 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 Josiah Trader, uh, Jojo Trader, both Chaminade, uh, you know, standouts, the two guys I've been talking about for over a year now with you saying how important they are because of their connection locally. Um, you know, they're big time targets. They're very high up on the receiver board. But, jo- jo- you know, Jeremiah is uh, committed to Ohio State. He's been committed to Ohio State since uh, December. Eventually, uh, I think there's a chance Miami could flip him, but they got to play well this year. They got to show him on offense. You know, I think he's the kind of kid who could flip to Miami come October, November, December, uh, you know, sort of the way Mark Fletcher did, where he was committed to Ohio State for a long time, and then he flipped at the end and picked Miami over Florida. So that's what I think will happen with some of these local kids. But quarterbacks to keep in mind, because that to me is always the most important position, right? Those guys kind of build the foundation of your class. They attract other recruits. That Aaron Nolan kid, um, I went to go watch him play left-handed, 6'3", about 195 pounds. Um, he was one of three quarterbacks on the South Florida Express. And, and when you watch 7-on-7 seven seven football, Carlos, I mean, you you can see some things about a quarterback. Yeah. But the reality <clears throat> is no pass rush, all those other kind of questions. I watched this kid's film, and we're going to play his interview at the end here for those of you listening to the audio version. If you want to listen to it, uh, those of you watching us on, on YouTube, uh, make sure you, you download the audio version of the Wide Right Pod. But, you know, I talked to him for a while. Super mature kid, um, studies quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Steve Young, Tua, you know, Tanga Vailoa. He, he's into studying left-handers. He wants to be coached by a coach who has some left-handed quarterback experience. My question to you, Carlos, as a guy who's been in there, how much of a challenge, if Miami's able to get uh, Nolan uh, to commit to the program, and he's, you know, he was wearing a Miami shirt the day I saw him, <laughs> over at the 7-on-7 seven, seven, seven seven tournament. How, in your opinion, do you think it changes the offense at all, playing with a left-handed quarterback? Well, it, it changes a couple things. Like, one, one of the reasons why he probably wants to be coached by a guy that's coached left-handed quarterbacks before is because he it's it's going to be more natural to be able to coach him and his steps and his, in his terms of his play fakes, his drops, his read progressions, from the way his body his angle, is angled to the field. Uh, and the way he gets into his drop, because it's different, obviously, from left-handers to right-handers. And if you've only dealt with right-handed quarterbacks, it's going to feel kind of awkward trying to teach that to a left-handed quarterback. So that's something you have to be conscious of. Um, the other thing is now you you have to be conscious of your right tackle. Your left tackle is not now the anchor. It's the right tackle because that's now his blind side. So that's something else you have to be aware of when you're structuring your offensive line and putting that together. Um, and also those routes, sometimes left-handers tend to have a little bit more curve, a little more what you call a... Uh, not a, a tail, a, the ball a tail, tail into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something else you have to adjust with the receivers and be ready to do and be ready and be ready for moving into the season. So it's not only preparing the offensive line, preparing the running backs, uh, preparing your prog- how you teach those progressions and those those play fakes and those drops, but also preparing the receivers on how to receive that ball from a left handed quarterback, because that arm angle is going to be different. Uh, when the left-handed quarterback is in there as they're running their routes. So they need to know where that ball is going to be coming from within the different routes. Um, I think it, it's it's important uh, to note, and I think it's pretty funny, that Manny Diaz is probably pissing his pants right now, uh, laughing, because as you discussed, there's one commitment right now, right, in the 2024 class. We were in the same position a, a couple of years. Yeah, a, a kicker of all that. Not that kickers aren't important, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, a couple of years ago, Following the recruitment of Cam Kitchens, James Williams, and that great class that Manny Diaz had, where were we sitting around June with yeah, this every, team? Everybody was worried. Because they had one commitment, right? Mm-hmm. Or just about. And to think that we are in the same position again two years later following the hire of Mario Cristobal and all the money that's been spent is pretty funny. I'm not saying that the program's not going in the, in the right direction, but to me, it's just kind of ironic that you know these wholesale changes were made with the football program and you're back to where you started from a couple of years ago. So yes, it's incredibly important that they succeed on the field early, uh, that they beat Texas A&M, that they have good showings offensively and defensively early on because they need that momentum to gain some recruits because the, the recruits need to see that it's different, man. It might be a different coach, but it's been the same result over the last 20 years. So you need to see a jump in this program. You need to see that this wholesale change, this gutting of the program, this new foundation that's being laid is actually moving forward and moving the program in a direction that it hasn't been in in a long time. If it if you don't show that early on, then they're going to be in trouble on the recruiting trail. 
and we're going to miss out on Aaron Nolan. And I do not want to miss out on that nickname every week. <laughs> well, he's he's definitely high up on the list. I know he's visiting Clemson uh, March uh, 11th. He, he mentioned coming to Miami, I think, on March 23rd. Uh, mainly because the coaches want to have him sort of one-on-one. If he comes on junior day, he'll just be one of a big group of kids. Uh, I think they want to kind of give him his own personal day on March 23rd uh, to come and sort of get a tour. Uh, Ohio State wants him badly. Uh, I know he's high up on their list. Um, He's going there March 31st. He told me he's got a good relationship uh, with Texas A&M and with Arkansas. He likes Dan Enos, who, who of course, coached Tua. Uh, Danny knows uh, former Miami offense coordinator now is over there at Arkansas. Some other quarterback names to keep in, in your mind, Malachi Smith. Uh, you know, look, some of these guys are not high up in the two, four, seven composite right now. Doesn't mean they will be, or won't be here in the weeks and months ahead. Malachi is a three-star. Um, I think he's ranked 419th right now in the composite 30th best quarterback. He's out, uh, in San Mateo, California. Um, you got Luke Moga, who's a unranked kid. Uh, 6'1", 195, um, uh, 6'2", 190, rather, from Phoenix, Sunny Slope High School, visited Miami with his father in January. I think those are the three top names right now for quarterbacks. Some other guys, Julian Sane, who's an Alabama commitment. He's playing for Team Raw. Um, I'll have a story on him, obviously. At Dylan Rayola, who's the number one overall quarterback. I'm sure they'd love to get him here, but probably going to end up at Georgia or Nebraska. He's got family on Nebraska. And then Michael Van Buren, um, who's another quarterback, uh, who was playing with Team Raw. I saw him uh, in January, uh, plays at uh, St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, six foot 185, uh, really strong arm. I, I, I talked about him, I think, previously on the podcast when 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 I did something uh, with Andrew Ferrelli talking about recruits. So I think those guys are sort of their top quarterbacks. Um, you know, uh, I, eventually they'll get one, probably in this. Yeah, you and know. the thing is, remember, they just had a transition between offenses and quarterback right. coaches. So right. They have to get that restarted now and start re- reestablishing those relationships right. and maybe reconnecting with the relationships that Dawson had from Houston down here in Miami to see if those recruits still fit what he's looking for, or if he wants something a little bit on the higher level. Yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of this is Mario driven. Mario likes to shop for the uh, for the produce, so to speak, before uh, he starts cooking and letting chefs in there. So he likes to buy the ingredients or, or, or you know, go out and recruit the ingredients that come to town. Some receiver names to to keep in mind besides Jeremiah Smith and uh, Josiah Trader, uh, Ryan Wingo out of St. Louis, uh, Missouri, uh, five star receiver, Micah Hudson, another five star receiver uh, out of Texas. Uh, DeBron Gatling, he's from uh, Georgia. Uh, Chance Robinson, he, out of here locally, four-star receiver out of St. Thomas Aquinas, big-bodied kid, 6'2", 190. All of these kids are over six feet tall, have big bodies. And then out of the Tampa area, T.J. Moore uh, out of ta- uh, Tampa Catholic, he's 6'3", 190. He's only rated a three-star right now. But Mario doesn't really care about the star rankings when it comes to this stuff. Uh, some of these guys will eventually see their their rankings improve. Um, but you know, quarterback and receiver, that's where I think a lot of Miami's success is going to happen here in the years ahead. They've got to do a good job recruiting those positions. And then I think they got to follow it up with some more really good offensive linemen. And, and, you know, they've got guys on the radar, uh, Daniel Calhoun, um, he's, he's the number three offensive tackle out of Roswell, Georgia, uh, Gerby Lambert, another kid out of Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts, uh, offensive tackle, um, you know, 6'6", 280, Jason Zandamella out of Clearwater Academy International, Liam Andrews out of Brookline, Massachusetts, uh, Jameson Riggs out of Hiram, Georgia, 6'5", 285, offensive tackle. Um, yeah, I'm sharing just a few of these names because I want people to start, okay, who's Miami after? Who are these 2024 kids? Just want to share a few. I've got defense. I can do that on the next podcast. Uh, we can talk about some of those uh, those guys in other positions, but I know those are some names, you know, when, when people ask, Manny, who, who are they after in this class? I think uh, quarterback, wide receiver are, are probably most important, and then safety on the defensive side of the ball. I think they've got to bring in some DBs. Um, you know, Cam Kitchens may not be here after 2023. Yeah. And, and uh, you know. I think they still got to get some more defensive tackles, too. They're going to grow that yeah. unit. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about that in the weeks and months ahead here on the Wide Right Podcast. I do want to get to the mailbag. Uh, first of all, Carlos, before we get to the mailbag, um, happy birthday. I know I'm a day early, but uh, your birthday tomorrow. And tomorrow, uh, what are man. you doing? Uh, probably doing a lot of taxes and then coming <laughs> home and passing out after smoking a cigar. That's pretty much the plan for tomorrow night. Okay. Saturday, we'll see what happens. Uh, Saturday evening. Maybe I'll do something Saturday evening, but I'm turning Brian Grant, aka Bobby Humphrey, the big 4 4. 
All right. I, I, uh, I, w- I welcome you to the 44 Club. I've been in there since I appreciate June. it. Um, all right, let's get to some of these mailbag questions because I think they're going to let us lead us in the right direction uh, as, I, as I click they on They rarely the do. They rarely do, but let's see if they do today. All right, this is from uh, Andrew V17, one of our listeners, regulars. Um, do you like the new coaching hires? Would you consider them upgrades? And, and the second question is, do you expect any other coaching staff changes? We've kind of touched on this, but... Um, which I guess I'll ask you this way, Carlos, which of the hires do you like most and which do you like least? Um, you know what? Surprisingly, I like the Tim Harris Jr. hire a lot. I think Tim's a very good coach. He's grown up, uh, through the ranks. He was a great high school head coach when his father went to UM, uh, as a running backs coach, won a state title with Booker TM. I think he won the national title when he was there as a head coach, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is from a guy that didn't play football at UM, but ran track and was a track Hall of Famer at the University of Miami. That goes to show you his knowledge of the game. He grew up around football with his dad. Um, Really sharp guy. He's a rising star, and to grab him as a running backs coach, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets uh, like a running running game coordinator title attached to it or something else just to help elevate him a little bit more and have some more input into the run game or just give him a little bit more money, which is really why those uh, coordinator (laughs) titles get thrown around. But I think that's a great hire. Because of his ability as a coach and his ability to recruit South Florida, which is very important because he has deep, deep ties in South Florida, not just with, you know, Booker T, but, you know, with all the inner city schools, with the Pop Warner programs, he's well known. And that's going to be a great asset to have on the recruiting side. Um, as far as, you know, the ones, um, I, I don't think there's one bad one. I, I just don't, I don't see one that's uh, the one, I guess Nicholson would be the one I'm least excited about just because I really don't know much about him. And he's, he went to Florida state. So, those two things make it in uh, <laughs> bottom of the barrel for me. Right, right. Um, Not saying he's bad, but he is a seminal. Uh, listen, uh, Tim Jr. and I go way back. Uh, I actually covered him when he was in high school. Watched him play quarterback at Miami Northwestern. And uh, super smart uh, kid. I still call him a kid because he's younger than me. So that even even if he's in his mid-30s, I'm calling him a kid. Um, I think you know he's, he's a really good hire in the sense that he's going to help you in Miami's inner city. Um, with with some players and, and not that Mario couldn't do that either and go in there and recruit. But, um, you know, when you've got a guy who has that Harris family name and people know him, yep. it makes it a little bit easier uh, to go into some places where you might have um, some people who don't want to help you out because they don't like the University of Miami or they've got an axe to grind with the University of Miami. Yeah. And he uh, grew up with these people that he's rec- that you know these coaches that are coaching yeah. the kids who are recruiting him. He grew up with them in the parks. He grew up with them in high school. He's played with them, played against them. He knows all of them personally, so it yeah. makes a huge difference. And 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 with Shannon Dawson, I would say he's the one that I kind of question a little bit, only because. And if you listen to the podcast last week with Sam Khan, he, he talked about it. I asked him, I put him on the spot. I said, "How much did he really call the plays?" Um, you know. He said he thought he called the plays last season, but throughout his career, he's been and it's kind of like the same situation as Red Lashley, right? Like in the sense that when he was with Gus Malzahn, was he, he was really in the calling the plays or was it Gus? And and how much does that really affect, um, you know, whether or not you're ready for it? And and I would just say, you know, in terms of the air raid and Shannon Dawson, you know, he's from what I understand from Bruce Feldman, he's got a really uh, sort of colorful and fun personality being a Louisiana guy. Is that going to mesh well with Mario? Because I know Mario really liked Josh Gaddis, and they sort of, you know, I think saw eye to eye on a lot of things. Um, and we saw he, how that worked out. Right. <laughs> so we'll see. I, I guess that's the one I'm a little bit more concerned about. Um, I think uh, Gidry is going to be a good fit here um, because from, from from what I know of him and, and, and conversations I've had with people, including some of his former players, I think he's he's one of those coaches that just gets along with players really, really well. Um, and I think his scheme is going to work in the ACC. It worked for Manny Diaz while he was here. The problem for Miami under Diaz was they were they weren't very good at tackling. They weren't very good at tackling in space. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and when you bring pressure like that, uh, you better be able to wrap up and, and not let guys get past you because when you bring the pressure, nobody else is home. So exactly, I think that's uh, that's going to be the challenge here. But I think he'll be successful here. I guess the one I question a little bit is Shannon Dawson, just because I, he's he's not. Um, He's not a Broyles Award winner. But then again, that didn't work out either. Exactly. Again, the 180 we were talking about. And again, you know, even though there was questions about Josh Gaddis, whether or not he called plays in Michigan uh, during the run to the playoff. Um, But I mean, at the end of the day, it's exciting to know that Mario looked at what he had last year, decided, listen, the initial decisions that I made, the the guys that I felt comfortable with didn't work out. 
let me make myself a little bit uncomfortable and go against what I normally do, what I think, and go with what I think is going to work based on these conversations I'm having. Because this is the other thing that people forget. When he's having these interviews and he's talking to all these guys, he's not just interviewing them. He's gathering data. He's getting information. He's asking them, you know, what works for you on offense? What challenges you on offense? What works for you on defense? What offenses challenge you? What gives you the most problems? And he's taking notes and saying, okay, shit, air raid pass concepts give these guys the most problems. You know, a uh, power run game based out of, you know, 11 personnel with sort of the, the Malzahn look, which is pin and pull gap stuff mixed in with a little zone stuff and some quarterback run that gives them the most problems because now you have to play 11 on 11. So he's registering all these things and looking at different schemes and saying, okay, which two coaches can I pair together to be my coordinators to give the most problems to opposing offenses and defenses with their schemes, with what they do. And these are the guys that he came up with. Now, is it going to be an instant success? I don't know. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a challenge regardless of who's the, the coordinator because you're going to have to rebuild this this program from last year's debacle. But the good news is that some talent has been infused into the program, albeit young talent, some transfer talent, and that's going to take time to grow as well. But I think from a passing perspective, you're going to see a much different TVD this year because this is going to be a system that fits him better. Because TVD, from what I've seen TVD from TVD over the last couple of years, he's not a guy that does well with multiple read progressions, right? With having to read across the field and read different progressions. He likes one, two throw, quick throws, get the ball out quick, knowing to identify the receiver that he's going to quickly. And the air raid does that for you, right? The air raid provides you with quick reads and the ability to get the ball to guys in space, what they call open grass. That's what the air raid's all about. If you dilute the air raid passing concept into one thought process, it is run to grass, run to where the open grass is, catch the football and go. That's the air raid. Um, and it's one of the more adaptable all passing concepts and offenses that there is in college football and in all of football because you know where this offense started? It didn't start with Hal Mummy. It was the origins of this air raid offense started with BYU and Lavelle Edwards. That's where Mummy developed the offense from. And right. the initial air raid wasn't a shotgun four wide offense. It was two back, one tight end, two receivers, under center. That's where it develops. So that shows you how versatile this offense is and how much has grown over the years. And the great thing about it is you could pair it with any run game you want because you can get to these same pass concepts no matter the personnel you have on the field. So it gives you more versatility. And that's what I like about what they've done here with the higher with Dawson and what they're supposed to be bringing in with the air raid and the power run game coming with Tim Harris Jr. from uh, UCF. All right, this is from Randall Carlson. He says, will the wide receivers coach be on staff by March 5th? Yeah, I, I would think uh, by March 4th, rather. Yes, there, there will be a wide receivers coach on staff before that. Mainly because they all got to go out and drink on St. Patrick's Day as a coaching staff to bond. That's right. Uh, this is from uh, Vic Vassal, Coach Vic Four. Who are your uh, breakout players for the spring? Uh, listen, I don't like breakout players during the spring because generally the ones that break out in the spring don't do crap in the fall. So, I'm going to give you breakout players in the fall. I think Colby Young is very exciting. I think the fact that he's one of the fastest guys on the team based on those uh, miles per hour numbers we saw recently on Twitter. <laughs> Although right. it does concern me that the fastest guy on the team is Ja'Curry Brown. Um, that's a little concerning that your second string quarterback is the fastest guy on the field and we're not going to be using him all that much. So that's a little concerning in terms of the skill position uh, speed. But I think Colby Young is going to be very exciting. I think, listen, this is put up or shut up time for Leonard Taylor. I think you're, you're, if you're going to see the best of Leonard Taylor, it's going to be this year because he's draft eligible. It's his time. He doesn't have Daryl Jackson next to him. He's got to step it up. So I think Leonard Taylor is going to have the best season he's had as a hurt. All right. Since you brought up the list, uh, I got a copy of this uh, top 20 list. Um, Jaden Harris, the cornerback. Seamless transition, baby. Yes. Uh, there were two guys on the team who ran 22 miles an hour. And again, this is just off-season testing that they do, okay? Jaden Harris – uh, was number one, the cornerback, uh, second-year cornerback. Ja'Curry Brown, second-year uh, quarterback, 22 miles an hour, both of them over 22. Then you had uh, Bobby Washington, close to 22 miles an hour, 21.96. He's uh, the wide receiver, freshman. Uh, freshman. Uh, Chris Graves, another Mario recruit, 21.78. Markeith Williams, 21.61. I don't know if you're getting a theme here. Uh, Devontae Brown, 21.52. Jaleel mm -hmm. Skinner, 21.47, yep. Colby Young, 21.31, Terry Roberts, the cornerback from Iowa, 21.17. And then the 10th guy is finally a non-Mario Cristobal recruit. The first nine all-Mario Cristobal recruits to Corey Couch, 21.16, uh, 
followed by Brashard Smith, 21.14, Malik Curtis, 21.13, a walk-on, Jacoby George, 21.07, Henry Parrish, 21.05, Isaiah Horton, 21.02, another walk-on, then Chance Williams, 20.88, Daryl Porter, 20.84, and then Donald Cheney, 20.76. Uh, those are your uh, 18 out of the 20. I'd say about, I don't know, 60%, 70%, maybe 80% are Mario Cristobal yeah. recruits. Yeah. So what does that tell you? Tells you not a lot of speed on the team before Mario got here. And uh, we weren't recruiting it well. So hopefully the the trend continues. And, and there's a lot of guys still out in the spring dealing with injuries or coming back from injuries. So that list should look a little bit different come the fall. But still, it's, it's concerning to me that the number two guys, you know, it's great that Jacuri's that athletic. But I would prefer receivers ahead of him and running backs and DBs ahead of him than the quarterback being number two. Well, especially I, the backup quarterback. I would say this: if Jakari can can really uh, get his throwing motion squared away and, and become more accurate, I would love lethal. to see him leading this court this offense. I think he's got Cam Newton type potential. Listen, and if it's going to like you're saying with the Cam Newton thing, this offense that with well, the offense that Gus Malzahn ran with Cam Newton is basically the run game that we expect to see. Um, at least the the running back of it. If if you have a dual threat quarterback like Jacurry Brown, you can then incorporate the power run game with the quarterback like they did with Cam Newton, which they ran a lot of what they call inverted power read, which is basically a quarterback power read where instead of reading the backside, he reads the front side end and makes plays that Cam Newton destroyed teams with that. And I think Jacari would be amazing in that. All right. This is a, another question from Coach Vic for uh, what is the strongest unit on the team? In your opinion, what do you think it is? And I'll go next. Whew. Good, good question. Um, safety. Okay. I think Just it's because safe. you have two frontline starters. I think you have two frontline starters. You got uh, an All-American coming back. I think James Williams is a very talented guy, and he could be a lot better this year with a little bit more fundamentals. Um, you know, the quarterback room, I'm expecting TVD to bounce back. I love Ja'Curry Brown, what he showed last year. It's still uh, The jury's still out on Emory Williams. You haven't seen him yet. I think the offensive line has improved a lot. Um, just by the additions of the transfers and the young guys in there. But I'm going to go with safety just because of the two frontline guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree with that. Although I, I would say I think the defensive line, I know they lost Daryl Jackson. I would say the defensive line is probably still the strength because you've got Akeem Mesador, who I think is is arguably your, your second best defensive player behind Cam, Cam Kitchens. You got Nigel Lee Kelly, who's on the rise, uh, yeah. who I thought did really well in, in, in the few snaps that he played. You've got some veterans, Jafari Harvey out on the edge, who's played a lot, who's going to you know be solid for you. Um, you've got Leonard Taylor, uh, who you know when he's playing at his best can be really really good. So I think the strength is probably the defensive line as a whole, even if you're still missing that defensive tackle, that elite you know big body defensive tackle. Um, and I would say the weakness, not that he asked this question, but the weakness. Uh, remains wide receiver because you need you need playmakers. If you're going to run an air raid offense and be successful, um, you know you got a lot of uh, guys right now that have to prove themselves, or as I, as I like to refer to them, uh, you know uh, Don Bailey all stars, guys that get interviewed and we hear a lot about and, and oh this guy's going to be great. Uh, I want them to graduate from being Don Bailey all stars to uh, to all ACC type talents, and I think if they can do that, uh, then this team can win eight games. Right now, I don't know that they can win eight games with this roster. Yeah, and I think the offensive system is going to help the receivers out a lot because the air raid is designed for receivers, right? It's designed for them to not only run. There's not a lot of pass concepts in the air raid, which makes it easier to digest and learn, but there are a lot of adjustments that you can run based off coverage within those passing schemes, right? Within those concepts. And the main idea, like I said, is get the ball to playmakers in space and let them go. And it helps you create matchup problems and take advantage of those matchups more often than you would see in a long progression type offense with multiple reads. And I think that's going to help guys like Brashard Smith, Xavier Estrepo, Jacoby George, where they're going to be running shorter routes, finding open areas, getting the ball in space and letting them go to work, which is what they do best. Um, a couple of questions here. Adam Fold sent one in uh, that kind of is a repeat of stuff we've already talked about. So thanks for sending the question in, Adam. But since we've already touched on a lot of those topics, we'll skip ahead. Uh, this is from Al Gauthier, uh, 508 Kane fan. The majority of recruits verbally commit during the summer with so many questions How, as far as how the offense will improve and the use of the wide receivers. How will this impact recruiting elite playmakers on that side of the ball? Well, I mean, I, I, we, we kind of touched on that as well earlier, but to, be, to make it a little bit clearer, you know, th the main guys that Miami wants, I don't think are going to be affected by 
um, who is coaching so much as it is the success of the offense. Um, you know, first of all, Shannon Dawson has a connection with Jeremiah Smith. He coached uh, Geno Smith at West Virginia. Uh, Jeremiah is Geno Smith's cousin. And uh, so the Smith family is very well connected uh, to Shannon Dawson and know him. And Gino, I'm sure, will we'll put in a good word. Uh, the, I, I would also say for guys like Jeremiah Smith and JoJo Trader, it's the quarterback. What quarterback do they come in with? Do they get an Aaron mm-hmm. Oland uh, to come in this class? Do they get another elite guy um, that they feel like, okay, this is going to be our quarterback? I know from talking to Jeremiah um, about it, you know, he's looking at those things. Um, so, yes, he's committed to Ohio State. But he feels the pull from Miami. I think JoJo Trader certainly feels the pull from Miami. It's going to be more about product on the field versus who's coaching. Yep. Um, all right, let's skip ahead to the next question. Uh, this is uh, from Miami Hurricanes enthusiast. Can we beat Texas A&M? Yes, we can. Will we? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think you almost beat them last year with this team, and you didn't really have much in the way of an offense. I think um, Miami could beat Texas A&M, but I would pick Texas A&M to win. Uh, because I think they're a better team. They've got more talent than Miami. They beat them last year. Uh, I think Jimbo Fisher is going to get things right. He's got the right quarterback. Connor Wiegman is very, very good. He's a five-star kid who played some at the end of last season. So he's not coming into 2023, uh, you know, cold or, or insecure in what he can do. Um, Bobby Petrino is a very good offensive coordinator. Uh, I think he's the kind of guy who can who can fix that offense oh, yeah. if, if Jimbo Fisher lets him do it. Um Go ahead. You want something else? And, yeah, and defensively, the one thing that presents problems with the air raid is if you have, you know, really fast defensive backs, great in coverage, those are the guys, or those those are the teams that, that give the air raid problems because they can lock up the receivers and follow them anywhere they want. And if they've got a strong defensive line to create pressure, that obviously makes the, the quarterback get the ball out a lot faster and guys aren't necessarily open. So I think Texas A&M still has, although they've lost a bunch of guys, a talented DB room. So that could be a challenge there as well. And they got a good defensive line. All right, this is uh, from Stephen Thunder, 56 Blacks again on Twitter, one of your fans. Uh, how does Lito find the time to be a lawyer and podcast pro while simultaneously being the Miami Maniac? And, and Stephen, your check is in the mail. I'm making my weekly payment. Sorry, I'm behind a little bit. Um, like, I answered him on Twitter. It's by being spectacularly average at everything I do. That's how I get it done. All right. Well, uh, Stephen, thanks for always listening to us, or at least Carlos. Um <laughs> And, and being a, uh, a regular contributor. All right, listen, uh, if you're going to stick around we, uh, in the audio version, make sure you listen to this interview with uh, Prentice Nolan, an impressive kid. By the way, 55 touchdown passes, Carlos, last season, four interceptions. Whew. I'm loving uh, this kid. The only kid I would rank second behind him at quarterback is the Van Buren kid, just because I can call him El Presidente. <laughs> right, that'd be a, a great nickname. Uh, well, we'll see what Mario uh, ends up doing at the quarterback position, who they're a- able to convince to come. But some early names. Uh, we talked about the coaching hires. I'm sure there will be more Hurricanes news in the weeks and months ahead. Again, if you're listening to the audio version, interview with Prentice Nolan coming up. If you're not, you're watching us on YouTube. Sayonara. Peace. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Were you always like a natural lefty, or did Dad put the ball in your left hand and say, throw it lefty? How did how did you come about being left-handed? Oh, uh, man, ever since I was 
been playing sports, man. I've always been a lefty, so I'm naturally gifted with, you know, being being left-handed, man. Bat lefty, right lefty, you throw left, everything has always been lefty. Yes, correct, correct. Okay, yeah, because I, I know Tua, like Tua, for instance, he's right-handed and everything, but throwing a football, he's lefty, so I wondered yeah. if, if there was, like, maybe a, an interesting story from that regard. Yeah, and then your dad, um, what's his first name? I don't think I ever asked you for his, his first name. Princess, he has the same name as me, Princess Nolan, yeah, Tri-Cities High School, and then, D, and then you said he went D2. Yes, sir, Gordon State. Do you remember, like, how old is your dad now? He's 46. And his nickname was Air. Was he the all-time leading scorer, you said, at, at Tri-Cities? Or, or uh, you said he was a really good basketball player, obviously. So I was curious that he, like, was all-state and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he was a pretty good pretty good basketball player. Well, like, I think he was one of the top leaders on it. You're going to go – I know you told me you're going to go visit Miami, I guess, for, the, for junior day, the start of their spring. Most likely it'll be March 23rd. Talk to Coach Cristobal and Coach um, D-Train. Okay. So it's Dawson. They said the 23rd would be the best because there won't be a lot of, you know, of course, a lot of kids. Right. Sitting around, around that time. And, you know, I'll be able to talk with the coaches, more of the players, and just get a real, you know, feel for Miami again. That's okay. all, man. Yeah, I was going to ask you because I asked you about Dawson, and then, like, three days later, he ended up hiring him. So I'm sure I'm sure you must be pretty happy with the choice since you had you had a previous relationship with him. Oh yes, most definitely. I think Coach Chris Ball did a great job of hiring the right OC for it. You know, not only not only the 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 players at Miami, but also you know just the culture that Miami has, and you know the, you know I think Coach Chris Ball, like I said, was going to put Miami in great hands, and you know he obviously did that by hiring Coach Dawson. Yeah. And and I read I guess Texas A and M. Do you already have a visit a date for them when you're gonna go by? Uh, not yet, not okay. for sure yet, but okay. most likely it'll be in March or early April. And those are the only two schools so far you have plans to visit once camp starts for them, or are there others for sure that you've locked in since? Because I just read those two. Uh, others for sure I locked in since. I'll be at Clemson on March 11th. I'll be at Ohio State on March 31st. Okay. And I'm looking to see if I'm gonna go to Arkansas early March. And then I just want to ask you some, like, fun personality stuff, man, because, you know, everybody always, you know, remarks about what a great leader you are and stuff. I'm curious, when when did you first start becoming that kind of guy? Was it just playing quarterback growing up as a kid, or was it, like, even younger age, you know, where you, <laughs> I don't know, playing Duck, Duck, Goose or Hide and Seek or whatever you do as kids, you know? I think I think it's, it's really the people I look up to, like Kobe Bryant, uh, LeBron James, mm-hmm. uh, Cam Newton, people people that I look up to and, you know, that, that impact my life and inspire me on a day-to-day basis. And just to see them, you know, lead the organization they were with or the teammates they had, you know, before <clears throat> their careers were over or when they were playing. So uh, I think, you know, the people I look up to, the people that inspire me on a day-to-day basis, my dad, Kobe, I said LeBron, you know, those people, you know, I look up to and they lead and they lead by example. Yeah. And also, I, they also have a fun side to them and I also have a fun side. I love, you know, dancing. I love uh, celebrating when not not only my receiver scores or not only when my lineman makes a good block, but when my coach makes a great play call. Like, I love celebrating. I love... Uh, Talking trash to my teammates mm-hmm. when I have to. Uh, I just love to get everybody, you know, uh, fuel going, not only in practice, off the field, uh, in the game, or even if we're going out to eat or going out to, you know, do anything. Anything that's fun, I love doing. Uh, you know, I'm not just a guy that just angry or just football, football, football. No, I love life. I love traveling. I love smiling. I just, I just love having fun while doing what I'm doing while living on this earth. Yeah, you know, I always ask guys whenever I do profiles, I ask them these kind of questions because I, I love to, to hear what they have to say. And then I ask them the opposite, which is, when was the last time you cried? And what was it over? Damn, that's a good question. That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I caught y'all guard with that one. <laughs> I remember. I remember the last time I cried was, uh, damn, that was yesterday. Really? The last time I cried was yesterday in the morning. Okay. I, I got in the shower and I just started thinking about like the things I've accomplished and you know my future, how bright it is, and you know how not people where I'm from usually don't make it as far as I do, or you know doesn't have a bright future 
part of future like me. So, you know, I just, I just cried, just thanking God, thanking my mom, you know, mentally. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, be more, you know, honored and blessed to be in the position I am today. And, you know, it wouldn't be possible without the man above and my family and, you know, my teammates, my coaches. You know, I'm, I'm very thankful and appreciative, appreciative towards the people that, you know, helped me, you know, get to where I am and, and that's going to help me get to where I want to get on this journey. And, you know, it's a marathon, so, you know, things aren't going to go so fast. Things might develop slow. But, you know, I think I, I tweeted out a tweet yesterday, and it was John 13-7. Mm-hmm. And it said, you may not know now, but sooner or later you'll know. Mm-hmm. And you're a why. So, yeah. you know, you may not realize it in the moment, but, you know, sooner or later you'll understand that God is... God will show you and lead you to the pathway to why, you know, he puts you through the things he puts you through. You know, I, I don't know if your dad, what, what does your dad do for a living? Uh, he works security at Fox 5. He also uh, does construction work, so he works two jobs. And what does mom do? Uh, mom works at Yamaha. She does, you know, construction work on the dirt bikes and all the things that Yamaha promotes out here. So oh, she works at Yamaha. And, of course, uh, my mom, I stay with my mom. And, man, yeah. So my dad's about 15 minutes from me. Yeah, your coach is telling me that um, your dad coached you growing up, too, for a long time, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He coaches from his distance. Uh, okay. he, he's a parent at first. <laughs> he he uh, still coaches. He still gives out great knowledge to not only me, but my teammates mm-hmm. uh, and the coaches that I know. Any any people, any anybody in general, man, he loves, you know, joking around. He loves, you know, having fun, but he also loves, you know, the game of football. He loves sports in general. So, and, and you were a quarterback from from age four, like right when you started, or did you move into that position? Uh, yeah, right when I started, I, I started off playing. I played running back for like a snap, but then it was one of those situations where I just got moved to quarterback. And you know, when I got back in the car after the game, my dad and my brother had a conversation where it was like, should I let him play running back or quarterback? And right. My brother <laughs> told me. Uh, I think you should let him play quarterback, and you know, I've been a quarterback since, man. You play basketball too, uh, at all on the high school team or track or anything else, or just football? Uh, I run track uh, during the week. I don't run the actual meets because of seven on seven, of course, and you know, visits that I have to take. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I run track. Uh, I love traveling because I'm always traveling. Mm-hmm. I love seeing you know different parts of the world and different parts of our country. Uh, I love interacting with others. I love, you know, just having fun and having good energy and good vibes around others. Mm-hmm. I love video game when I can, even though I I, I rarely get to. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't really play it, but I love playing the game. <laughs> I love uh, <clears throat> inspiring, you know, my teammates, uh, whether that's for football, for class, or for, you know, a girl. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah. I, of uh, inspiring others because I believe that you know the highest human in, the highest human act is to inspire, and you know it's it's nothing like inspiring you know a little kid or somebody your age or even somebody older. Mm-hmm. So I love inspiring, whether that's in a you know a tough love type of way or in a fun way or a joke clowning type of way. But and that's what I love doing. I love being around my family. I love interacting with my family. You know, getting to. You know, know them more and more and more and more and more on a daily, daily basis, even though I know the heck out of them. But, man, I just love, love being around my family. I, just, I I love the game of football, of course, but besides football, I just love, you know, I love being around others. People don't think I'm a people's person, but I love being around people, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So, you switched from, seven, from number seven to one. Any reason? Uh, So when I first... uh got into Lancaster Hughes High School, number one was, like, the best player on the team. Okay. And he ended up with the Tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even, even he had 40-plus offers going into college. Mm-hmm. And uh, he even got an offer from Alabama. So the guy that had number one was that guy. And then, of course, once he left, I, I ended up getting the number passed down to me. And to have that number at Lancaster Hughes High School was very, you know, honorable. Mm-hmm. Because a kid that not only... Uh, Antonio Martin, the kid that had number one before me, but the kid before Antonio Martin, which was DeAndre Walker, he ended up going to Georgia yeah. and he played for uh, Tennessee Titans. Yeah. And so, you know, a, a couple guys that that have had that number have been, you know, very, very, very contributive towards, towards the team, but also towards the Langston Hughes community mm-hmm. and everybody in the organization. So, 
coach was mentioning to me, you know, you could run the ball more, but he, he, he teaches you to throw in the pocket. Like, always, you should always have somebody open. You know, the, he, right. he talked a lot about that, that, you know, if you wanted to take off and run, you could probably put up some ridiculous numbers running, but huh. I guess right. it's always been your choice to throw the ball, right? Yeah, I just, I just feel like the pro style way of being a quarterback, it lasts you longer, mm-hmm. but also, uh, it, you know, it makes your job easier. And it makes everybody on the team, I feel happier when you're getting them the ball. Because right. honestly, every play, you're, you're getting the ball, the ball is coming into your hands every snap, you know, most likely. So, you know, you, you want to spread, spread that rock around as much as possible. And then, you know, I just love throwing the ball. I love dropping back and, you know, feeding others and getting them going and seeing everybody happy. And I feel like, you know, you don't have to do nothing special to be special. So, you know, mm-hmm. just just making great decisions with the ball and, you know, knowing where to go with the football, I feel like keeps you away from just running the ball just to run. Yeah. Do you at all feel like you're carrying a torch for left-handers? Because I, I had this conversation with Brian Stuff. He said he feels like, you know, left-handed QBs are like a dying breed. He's the guy that runs the Elite 11. And I was right. just looking over the list nationally. I'm like, there's, there really isn't a lot of left-handed quarterbacks. Do you even know any others in the 24 class that you've seen at camps or just seen over the over the past couple of years in your own in your own senior class? Not, 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 not that I know. Uh, I know the kid from Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played with uh, Bishop Gorman. Okay. Uh, I know about him. He's he he actually you know knows about me. I played against him at Rec Ball. Okay. Uh, so I feel like me and him carry a, a big, you know, tone, like you said, with the lefties. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a lot of lefties that come through. And, you know, you most, of course, you always see righties, but I feel like, you know, the lefties could do the same thing a righty could do, if not better. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I, I definitely love, uh, being a lefty. You know, I'm different from others. So, man, I, I just, you know, try to prove everybody wrong, prove the critics wrong, mm-hmm. any chance I get. And, and it seems like it really hasn't affected you with the schools because all the best schools in the country want you. They're all recruiting you. So, obviously, the coaches aren't afraid of that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's just, I think, I think, I think the, the coaches, you know, on the college level is seeing that I could do anything a righty could do. Right. And, you know, I, I'm not your typical lefty, you know, type of thrower. Like, you'll see sometimes I'll throw sidearm, I'll throw regular, like a regular, like a regular L. You know, form type of throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, throw from any angle with my arm, so, you know, it doesn't affect me at all. And, you know, whether, whether the throw is to the far right or to the far left, uh, you know, it doesn't affect me. Harm or hurt me in any, any way. Yeah, Stump, Brian Stump was telling me that, you know, you have, you have more zip on your throw for a left-hander than usual. Like, most lefties don't throw as hard as you do. Do you feel that too? Like, from when you've seen other lefties? Yeah, yeah, that, the weight room at Langston Hughes High School is no joke. Yeah, <laughs> that's helpful. We, yeah. What, we do a lot of squats and uh, things of that nature. Have you ever tried to see how far you can throw it? Like, what's the longest distance on a straight line you, you think you can throw it? On a straight line, like on a rope? Yep. I'll say about 55. About 55. The longest I can throw is damn near 80. Yeah. Yeah, last time I threw it, it was 78. Wow, so what, how long ago was that? Like a month ago. Okay, just you, you wanted to test it out. <laughs> yeah, I just tested it out and see. Cause I haven't thrown, I haven't thrown uh, that far in so long. So you know, that was like a like the year before that I threw like seventy two, mm-hmm. and like this uh, end up throwing seventy eight. So I was like, mm, interesting. Yeah, and it just uh, you know, not only my upper body but my lower body is getting stronger. Yeah, that helps. And and how much are you weighing now? Cause your coach is telling me you're like two ten or whatever. That your your body's matured so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at 195 right now, but you'll probably see me around like 205 before season. Really? <laughs> what do you eat? What, what's a typical meal? I mean, to, to, to weigh that much isn't easy. Anything that comes to my site. Uh-huh. As long as I feel like, you know, it, it isn't, uh, unhealthy. And I, of course there's things I eat that's unhealthy. I mean, everybody eats unhealthy, but yeah. I try to eat healthy as possible. Yeah. Uh, I love Alfredo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love wings. I love chicken. Yeah. I love eggs. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, pancakes, uh, bananas. Like, I, I eat a lot of fruit. Yeah. Uh, I like granola bars. Uh, I just, you know, I love a lot of healthy things. But I try to stay away from the unhealthy things. But I love, I love pasta. Like, I love any southern-made food, really, I love, and uh, any fruit. 
Yeah, man. I try to, I try to eat, I try to eat as much as I can during the day, but try not to, you know, overeat, but I also, you know, love to feel that I'm full and, you know, you know, feel like I ate enough. What's, what's been the most interesting conversation you've had? Cause you visited some schools already. I saw the pictures with you and Nick Saban. Um, right. what are maybe some of the things that they've talked to you about that stick with you? Um, just the, just how I carry myself, my personality, uh, you know, that's, that's really been, you know, the things that every school has really said. Like, I carry myself in a, uh, a great way. Uh, you, you can tell that I was raised the right way. And that's, mm-hmm. and I, and I thank my mom and my dad every day for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like any school I go to, they, they, they always, you know, pick on how I carry myself and how the people around me are very, you know, very important to me and how, you know, how, how good of a mom and a dad that I have. So, you know, just the way I carry myself and, you know, I, you can tell that I'm in love with the game of football if you're around me, but you can also tell that I was raised the right way. What, what's, what's an example of something maybe your parents said to you every day or challenged you with every day, like that, that maybe made you who you are? Uh, it's nothing specifically, but moments that I've had, uh, whether that's, you know, going out and playing catch in the backyard or whether that's, Running up a hill a hundred times, you know, during the off season or, or whether that's, uh, you know, getting all A's in the class and trying my best to maintain a high GPA. You know, they, they, they text me day in, day out important things and show me, you know, things that happens out into this world that I, you know, can stay away from and, you know, just try to keep me on the right side and keep me on a straight line mm-hmm. going down halfway. So, man, they, they inspire me. You know, every day, regardless if they send me a text of, you know, words of inspiration mm-hmm. or whether that's, uh, just, you know, taking me out somewhere or whether that's just making my butt stay at home, anything, you know, even though I love being in the house, but, you know, they just try to keep me grounded, and, you know, keep me, you know, focused at all times. Let me ask so. you about NIL because I was at the Under Armour All-American game. I went there uh, for the media day uh, back in December, and I remember asking, I went up to about 20 guys, and I said, listen, off the record, you don't need to tell me who, which school it was, but who offered the most money, you know, in terms of an NIL deal for, to try to get you to come to school, you know, and for the most part, a lot of guys would say, you know, maybe 100000 maybe 150000 those kind of things, not... 13 million like we saw with one quarterback or 8 million uh, I'm, I'm curious with you when you when you saw those figures right you're, you're becoming right. eyes what did you think of all that when you saw some of those numbers that were thrown out there oh man it's mind-blowing mm-hmm. honestly but you know I think we kind of expected mm-hmm. uh, this because you know of course the NIL uh, thing started to get big and you know the name, image, and likeness is a big deal, as we all know in today's world. So, yeah. you know, it, it was kind of, it was surprising, mind blowing, but it was kind of expected. Uh, to see, to see numbers like that and see figures like that, you know, on social media or whenever I see them, it's, it's mind blowing, but it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you have to play football. So, you know, you can get as much money as you want and, and the money comes with it. Yeah, but it's about you being focused and you know being able to be that guy or help out the team as much as you can and you know be be a a great person and carry yourself the right way and you know values come with that like accolades come with it money comes with it so you know it's just about staying focused at the end of the day but I I, I wouldn't sit up here and just say uh thirteen figures doesn't have some type of effect on me on how I think. But at the end of the day, I know what it takes to get those, you know, type of type of figures or that type of money. So, you yeah. know, you just have to work your butt off and grind every day and you'll get the results you want. It shows. Yeah. In Georgia I know that at high school you guys can't, you know, collect yeah. NIL, California, other places that did you at all think you know, man, maybe I should go to a state so I can get some money as a high school senior and not have to wait. Uh, you know, I've thought of that, but uh, at the end of the day, like I said, it's not about the money. I'm not in this for the money. I'm yeah. in this for the love of the game. Yeah. But I'm still a friend say I didn't think of it. Yeah. You know, I've thought of, but you know, uh, I love I love where I'm at. I love the school that I'm at. Uh, I love the people around me. Mm-hmm. And you know, 
you know, not, not like I said, not many, you know, not many make it as far as I've made it where I come from. And, you know, I, I just want to show, you know, just because you come from this small town that that doesn't mean you can't make it as far as I can. And people that have been in and lived in my town have made it, you know. Yeah. So, you know, why not you or why not me? So yeah. just keep and then keep staying focused. How how big of it of a of a deal ultimately do you think it will be? Like I asked all those guys the same the same guys I asked about the money. I said how big of a role did it play in your decision? Like in terms of the school you picked, and I said first, second, or third. You know if you had to rank them, and and they all said third. That really it was more about relationships, and then being at in a school that they thought could help develop them for the NFL. Is are you is that your line of thinking as well in terms of where where you rank it? Yes, most definitely because you know wherever you go. It's, it's money everywhere. <laughs> right. So wherever you go, honestly, it's really just about you getting that, that family, that, that home type of feel and, you know, the institution, the people around it, like, like those players were saying, the coaches and, you know, just seeing if that university or that coaching staff could prepare you for the next level because anywhere you go, you're going to have money and, you know, dollar bills sitting in front of your face. It's just about you, you knowing if that's the right place for you to play on a Saturday or on a Tuesday night, that you're going to be able to, you know, contribute and help the team out in a big way in between those light lines. Is that something you think a lot of quarterbacks talk about now because of what happened with some of those guys last year in this cycle? Not really, mm-hmm. because I think we we saw we saw the you know the pros and the cons to it. Yeah. So you know you know it's just a like 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 I was saying like. I think us quarterback knows, us quarterbacks knows that the money is everywhere. It's just about us, you know, being able to contribute only, not only on the field, but off the field. So, I you know, you. I think, I think we picked up a, a lot of knowledge. That's what I can say. Yeah. That's what I you, you, you learn from their lessons. <laughs> right. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. That, that wasn't a, a great situation, obviously, for Jaden Rashada. I mean, uh, yeah. To lose everything he did was kind of eye-opening. Do you think at all that that affects guys as far as which schools they pick? Like, oh, I, I can't pick that school because they they obviously don't pay, or they, I don't know, with Florida. Like, did that at all enter your mind with them? Yeah, that definitely affects mm-hmm. you know uh, you know the players' decisions because at, because at the end of the day, you want to build relationships and you want to get to know people more, and, you know, interact with the coaches and the people around the coaches. Mm-hmm. But you also you also don't want to burn your bridges, right. so you, you know you know you can't you can't burn your bridges like I was saying and mess up relationships like that because of the simple fact of you want this much money or you want this and that and the third, mm-hmm. you know because it's not just about the money, honestly. Right. 